The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewired.com. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Gina Larson. Um, I serve here at the bridge and the music ministry, worship ministry, and also on the prayer ministry. Um, our passage this morning is from Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from jesus christ the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priests to his god and father to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever amen Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. It's the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bible, I hope that you've opened to Revelation chapter 1. And um, we're not on the prelude. We are actually in Revelation now. And uh, like I said, uh, Jeff got waylaid a little bit on his travel plans. So our slides got waylaid a little bit too. (laughs) But uh, we'll catch up. If you have seen the intro Uh, On the weekly, uh, that is something that you can share to invite people in and to be with us as we go through this uh, series on Revelation. Revelation is one of those books that often people are like, "Ah, I I was right there, let's be honest. When I was hired here, uh, one of the questions, I I think it was from Sue, I, I I think it was you, it was like, are you going to teach Revelation? And I was like, no. <laughs> and, you know, and I gave this really, uh, really pithy little quip, you know, I find that too often Christians are too heavenly minded to be too earthly good. And so I want us to be focused on what Christ has us to do here on earth. But he gave us the revelation. He gave us this prophetic word, and he says, this is a blessing to you. You should read it. You should know it. And God wouldn't give it to us if there wasn't 
a reason for us to know this and to study this. So there are times where we should be heavenly minded, very heavenly minded. And so uh, we are going through this book and it has already blessed me tremendously in the beginning of my studies of it. And so I, I pray that God will encourage you and bless you as we go through this as well. We read here in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, he says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants. Now this word revelation, apocalypsis in the Greek, or apocalypsis as some would say at times, but it just means an uncovering. It means a revealing. So we, when we think about the apocalypse, you know, and you're thinking, oh, this is the end, the end of all things. It's, this is how it all is going to come together, and this is the big wars and all that. We think of that. That's, that's what's in our mind as a culture, the apocalypse. And, and there's so many different spinoffs and movies and, and different things, and this word just has this, this connotation to it that's just kind of, it's out there, and it's just, you know, it's, it's weird, and it's, it, it could be something different or, or whatever, and it just, Hollywood's made this term kind of their own, and all the movies and different things that are out there with this idea of apocalypse, but it just means an uncovering, a revealing, an unveiling. And what this book is, is God is saying, hey, there's something coming, and this is what it looks like. This is how I'm bringing all things to its fullness, to the end. We looked for Jesus to come in the first uh, uh, advent, and this is the second advent. And he says, this is what it will look like. This is the state of the world when this happens. This is the uncovering. This is the revealing. So it's not anything for us to get, get worried about. It's, it's for us to be encouraged about. And it says here, it's the 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 revelation of Jesus Christ, which was given to him, given to Christ to give to his bondservants. Well, Christ is giving this to the apostle John, but this is what Jesus said in his earthly ministry in John chapter 12, verse 49. He says, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And so even here, Christ is in Submission to the Father. And submission is a good thing. We see it in the Godhead. Christ submitting to the Father, revealing the plan to John. He is speaking what the Godhead has ordained. He is saying, this is what the Father would have you see. These are the pictures that you're going to get, John. This is what you are to reveal to the bondservants. I'm only giving to you what the Father has revealed for me to give to you. And the Spirit will give this to you as well. So we see this in, in this verse that, that Christ is giving this revelation, this uncovering of how the end will look, and he says it's, it must soon take place, and that it is for the bondservants. Now, a bondservant is a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's you and me. We're his bondservants. We're the ones who are joined to him. He is our master. We are the ones who follow him. He is our Lord. And, and there are times that people don't like this terminology, especially in our culture today with all the justice talk out there. They don't like bond slave. They don't like this slave thing. But listen, we are bond servants. We are joined to Christ. And he is our Lord and our master. And we follow him. 
And we listen to him, and he says, this revelation is for you. So as we study this, I mean, you may be thinking, yeah, why are we doing this or whatever? Listen, Jesus Christ gave this revelation for you, for you to have it, for you to take it, to, to meditate on it, to pray over it, to, to hear the instruction in it and to follow it, to, to be encouraged, to be strengthened, to, to not be afraid, but to move forward. He gave it to his church and his bond servants. He gave it to you. And he wants you to do something with it. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But he says, here is this uncovering. So John was, was used of God to write down this prophecy. And, and when it was written, he says, these are the things that must soon take place. How much sooner are we now? As we, as we continue down the road, we're getting closer and closer to the end of all things. And they will be just as God has said. And there's a lot of imagery and there's a lot of pictures and there's a lot of similes and metaphors in, in Revelation. And some of them, we're going to be like, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense. And other things, we're going to be like, I have no clue. But that's okay. As it unfolds and as God shows it, when we look back at it, we'll say, oh yeah, that made perfect sense. <laughs> but we haven't gotten to that place yet where we're looking back. But God will reveal all of this, just as he said, and, and this is for us. So he says, this is going to take place soon. This must take place. So John is writing to the, to the church, to, his bond, to the bondservants of Christ, this prophecy. And he adds that there is a blessing in it. Look at verse 3. He says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. So he says, there's a blessing in it. I should have read this <laughs> a lot more carefully years ago because I probably would have studied it a lot more intently. Who doesn't want to be blessed of the Lord? <laughs> it's like, hey, I got a gift for you. Here's a blessing. You're like, yeah, it's okay. You know, it's the end time stuff. That's just weird. I'll just, I'll pass on that one. No, he says, there is a blessing for you if you will read it, if you will take this word. There's a blessing for you who hear it if we apply it. So what is the blessing? What should we expect? I mean, so he says, I'm going to give you a blessing. So what do we expect by taking the time to do this study that we're doing now? Well, let's look at when this was penned a little bit and, and see kind of where God used John and, and has used this, uh, this prophetic writing to bless the church and to bring it to us today. So the book was penned uh, by John around 96 AD. So that's roughly 30 years of intense persecution that the church has been living through already. So from 70 up to 96, intense persecution. The church is suffering and they are being they're being beaten, they're being killed, they're being uh, used in, in entertainment and being killed in, in creative ways by the, by the Roman government. And, and there's this intense persecution. I was thinking about that in Hebrews eleven thirty six through 38. It says, others suffered mockings and floggings. Anybody in here been flogged? Chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two. Is this in your family lineage? 
immediate family lineage here in the state? Like, no, we, like, we don't understand this. He says, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves and the earth. This is given to us by the writer of Hebrews, talking about those who are looking for the promise of Jesus to come. And then even after Jesus came, this is what the early church was still in the midst of. So they have over 30 years of intense persecution that looks like this. I mean, Rome is gathering up people after 70 AD, dipping them in oil, setting them on fire as torches so they can light their evening events. And then I look at the news and people are all upset because someone spray painted on church doors or they are, they're taking our, our civil liberties or our preferences. Or, and, and I don't want to downplay those things. They're important. But at the same time, when I compare it, it's apples and oranges. Like, like we're, we're moving into persecution. We're moving into times where we need to be steeled. We need to be ready. We talked about it a week ago, setting our face like flint. Because persecution is coming. The church was already in it. And then John is exiled. He's being persecuted, and he gets this revelation. So he's, he's serving a, a sentence on an island, doing hard manual labor, and God gives him this revelation. So the church... I mean, just thinking through what they went through. I mean, just a side note, if you think about, like, who, who are the heavy hitters? We'll put that in quotes. The heavy hitters are preaching today in, in America. Think of your top three, maybe four favorite preachers. And then let's round them all up and have them publicly executed. That happened in 70 AD with Paul, Timothy, and Peter. I mean, these are the... These are the, that's the church. Like when you think of the church, you're thinking like, Paul, that guy's out there. Timothy, he's in Ephesus and he's helping Paul and he's doing, and Peter's out there and he's bold with the gospel and they round him up and they kill him. Like we, we don't understand that here in the West. Listen, we have brothers and sisters today who do understand that. There's other parts of the world where people are suffering like this. We, we are not there. So we need to pay attention. We need to be awake. We need to be listening to what the Spirit says. We need to be encouraged and, and, and be steeled because persecution is going to be coming. As we look through this book, we'll see that God is, is going to show what the days will be like as they roll on. So the blessing that God has prophetically given to us is just that. He prophetically has spoken. I mean, what a blessing. Think of Abram and, and the and Isaac, and, and Jacob, like, they were getting the blessings from God. And they didn't see the fullness of that blessing. But what did they do? They held on to it. And those in the Old Testament, they had the blessing of Messiah to come, and they hold on to it. And they're like, we have a promise. We have a blessing to come. We're going to look for it. We're going to look for it. We're going to move forward in faith. And, and he has spoken. And he says, church, I'm coming again. Church, this is what it'll look like. Church, be ready. We have a God who has spoken to us. That in itself is a tremendous blessing. He's told you, I'm coming back. I've prepared a place for you, and if I prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you. That where I am, you will be also. So Jesus will return. There will be a, 
actual second advent as we see in the scriptures. He is coming back. He has spoken. So we have been blessed in that he has said, thus saith the Lord, this is what will happen. So we can read the decrees of God. We can read the things and take courage because what he has said is what he will do. So we can walk by faith. The other blessing is your faith is encouraged. It is strengthened. It's, it's, it's made more rich because you're taking something that God has said and you're walking in it. You're saying, yes, I don't see it. Abram didn't see it. Isaac and Jacob, they didn't see it, but they walked in it. And I will walk in this. I haven't seen it, but I know that Christ has come and he will come again. And I'm going to walk in this. No matter what happens, I'm walking to him. And so the blessing, Hebrews 11.1, 1, we said faith is the assurance of things hoped for. We have this assurance. This is going to happen. A conviction for things unseen. Romans 5, 2 through 5. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom has been given to us. We have this blessing of through all of that to come, all the sufferings and things that we will walk through, we will not be put to shame. We will be blessed in it, and we have First Peter Chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though, for, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes the, though it is tested by fire, that faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him, though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we see this is the blessing of Revelation. This is the same thing Peter's talking about to the church. He's saying, you don't see him, but he's coming, and you're going to be blessed richly in him, and you're going to obtain the salvation in which you have hoped in, that it is sure in Christ. So be encouraged. What God is doing is he is setting the present moment for the unseen realities of the future. He says, this is where things are going, and this is where you are. Be encouraged. Take, take hope in the gospel because it is producing a good reward in you. It is giving you the salvation that you have looked forward to. So God is, is setting this moment for the future. 
So we begin to see what God is doing now and what God is moving the world to. And we understand what our role and faith should look like in light of this. We understand better how to live for the Lord. We understand this moment better because of Revelation. So John chapter 9, verse 4, this is Jesus speaking. He says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. You have day. This is your day. This is my day. This is the moment that the bridge has to do the works of Christ in this area for, for his glory, to see his kingdom come. This is the day because night is coming and the work will be done. Jesus is saying that in his own ministry. The Father has sent me while I am here. These are the works I must do because there is a time when they will end. There's a time where I won't be doing this anymore. The same for us. So if we look at Revelation, we see where God is going, we can, more, um, we can walk more fully in his will for today. I was trying to get those words out. I was like, uh, getting ahead of myself. So we see what he wants for us. Verses 4 and 5. We read this. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. You guys, have you ever taken time to look up like inspirational speeches? Or, or I don't know, if you're a sports guy or sports gal, you think of coaches and their inspirational speeches, and, and there's all kinds of movies with great speeches and stuff, and we just look through our history, and there's moments that just kind of sit with us, you know? I, I think politically, like when uh, JFK said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, that, that attitude of American servitude, like we're coming together as one and we're serving, we're not going to be, we're going to serve one another, like that's, that did something to our country. Like, that was a moment, right? That inspiration. We think of other times where there's great inspirational speeches. You know, I, I think of Lombardi, and I went on, and I was like, man, I just want to play these whole things. Like, these clips are way too long to show in church, but they're so good. And I just love the one part he, in one of his speeches. He's like, and it's not about whether or not we get knocked down. It's whether or not we're going to get back up. And I just love that. Like, he's just like, guys, here it is. We're going out there on the field of battle. And we're gonna, it's for valor, and we're going to leave it all out there. And like, he just stirs the men, the troops. <laughs> One of my favorite scenes is Rudy. Anybody like that movie, Rudy? Okay, here's my movie references. I'm bringing them back up. I haven't done it in a while. And I love it when he's in there, and he's, he walks into the locker room. You know, he's at Notre Dame, and he's looking at, and he grabs the stool, and he pulls it out, and he gets up on there, and he's looking around, like, what would it be like to be the coach and see all these guys? And he's like, we're going to go outside, we're going to go inside, we're going to go outside, we're going to go inside, and then we're going to get them on the run, boys, and then we're going to keep them on the run, and we're going to go, 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 till we don't go, till we go across that goal line, you know? And he's doing this whole thing, and this other guy's watching him, and he's just like, oh, he's just like in awe of this moment. And he's like, oh, win one for the Gipper. You know, he's just in that moment. We just 
have been introduced to the one who's speaking to us. I mean, all of those coaches, all of those movies, all of those things that you think of, like that's a moment. We're about to be spoken to by Jesus Christ. Think about that. John's up there and he's like, here is a word and Jesus is about to speak it to you. We're going to be ushered into the heavenly locker room, the throne room, so to speak. We're going to go in there, and Jesus is going to speak to us. And he's going to say some things that are impactful. So as we look at this word, as we look at him, as we go through this, oh, what I love about it is that he's calling the church to greatness. He's calling the church to take courage. He's calling us to have ignited in us a passion for his glory. And so if, if, if you find yourself sitting here reading this with us and you're just like, oh, it's a little flat for me, like pray that the Spirit would ignite this because Christ is about to speak to you. These two verses here that I read, they tell us exactly who's addressing us, who's strengthening us. He says this. He says, to him or him who is and who was and who is to come. That's God the Father in this passage. John's talking, and this is, these are some terms that sometimes we'll see in other areas that are attributed to Christ or they're attributed to the Spirit. But here, he, he's addressing all three people of the Godhead. And he's using this passage here, and he's talking about God the Father. He is eternal by nature. He is timeless He's tied to the name Yahweh of Exodus 6.3. It says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. This is what it is. Him who is and who was and who is to come. It is Yahweh who is speaking. The Father is here. We see that he is the ultimate ruler of past, present, and future. And we see this also attributed to Christ in other places. But John is using it, as I said here, about the Father. And then you see the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now, as we get into apocalyptic literature, this is important. There are images, and there are numbers, and there's different things, and there are significant colors and different stuff. Like All of this is significant. Do we understand all of it? Probably not, as we should. But some of it we get, and some of it we're like, I don't know. But here, he's speaking about the fullness of the Spirit. He's talking about the perfection of the Holy Spirit, the the seven spirits who are before the throne. That's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God. And so here he is with the Father, with the Spirit. 2 Peter 1, verse 20 and 21 says this, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. How do we get revelation? The Holy Spirit who is there giving the revelation with Jesus Christ is going to carry John along and have him write it. It's going to to speak to us. Isaiah, this is the one passage of Scripture where we see Isaiah talk about the Holy Spirit in a more full way. Uh, uh, Chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, it says, 
and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eye sees or decide disputes by what his ear hears. What we see in this passage is, is that Isaiah speaks about the Spirit of God in a more full way. And so in the throne room, you have the perfect presence of the Father, the perfect presence of the Spirit, and it's from Jesus Christ, the, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over kings, of the earth. This is who's speaking. This is who's speaking. You know, often we say, well, what about Trinity? Okay, let's start there. Let's just start here in Revelation, in the throne room of God, the fullness of God, giving us this, this word. Verse 5, he says, and Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and who has freed us from our sins by his blood, verse 6, and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He goes into a benediction here. To him who loves us. He talks about Jesus, and then he goes, to him who loves us. He just starts talking about who this Jesus is and what this Jesus has done. Just starts in with praise. Paul does this on occasion. Paul will talk about doctrines in his letters to the church, and, and he's talking about what God has done, and all of a sudden he just burst into a benediction. And, and, and he just, it's a moment of praise, just moved by the Spirit, like he's reflecting on what God has done, who God is, how he works, the grace and the blessings and the fullness in his life. And he just says, I've just got to take a pause, and i just got to worship right now. i just got to bring a, a, a moment of praise to God. And that's what happens here in the introduction of Revelation. He just brings praise for what Jesus has done. John thinks of who this is and what he has done, and he's just moved. So that, asks, that caused me to ask the question, how often do we do that? When was the last time you were just moved as you just meditated on the Word of God for who he was and what he did, and you just went into praise? You're just like, oh, I just got to take time and praise him for this, to just thank him. Just, I mean, we do that in, in, in prayer, don't we? Like we take time to thank God, we thank you, and we meditate on those things that you've done, and we just want to just be in awe of that, and we give thanksgiving and prayer. But how about just when we're studying? How about when we're just reading the scriptures? How about when we're just walking down the road and, and going about daily life and, and something comes to mind that Jesus has done or the blessing he's given you and you're just like, I just got to stop for a moment of praise. <laughs> How often do we do that? I fear we don't do it enough. I know I don't do it enough. I was convicted here uh, to say, man, I, when I think about Christ, there should be praise following those meditations. Just Praise on my lips as I think about it. And so that's what happens with John. So he just moves to praise. He says, he loved us. This is a past action. He's pointing to the cross. He loved us at the cross. He, he brings reconciliation and freedom. Jesus, the faithful one who loved us. He, he loves us still, but he's pointing to this moment of, of what Christ has done. Points to the cross. He has freed us, that, that work accomplished at the cross. 
So here he is, he's just saying, to him be blessing on this one who has loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And then he goes on to think about what God has accomplished for the church. He says this, he has made us a kingdom. He's made us a kingdom. And there's a a comma in there. Made us a kingdom, priests to his God. Some would say, yeah, a kingdom of priests. But he's made us a kingdom. So don't, don't run too fast when you're going through this. He made us a kingdom. Ones with royal authority to be identified with him. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are a kingdom. We are part of his kingdom. We are ambassadors of that king and that kingdom. He's like, this is who he's made us to be, ambassadors for Jesus. So he's, he's created a people for himself. We are a peculiar people. We are a kingdom and priests. He's made us priests. Those are ones with royal authority to minister on behalf of man before God. So we minister before God on behalf of those who do not know God. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that we're making sacrifices. and stuff. So if I find out any of you guys have an altar in your backyard and you're killing you know, the neighborhood cat, okay, you know, we got to talk. That's not what it means. It means that we are coming before the Father interceding, pleading, begging on their behalf that God would open their eyes, open their heart, would draw them to himself, that that they would fall on Christ and be broken before Christ falls on them and they are eternally crushed. Like, as priests, we intercede for those who don't even know that they need intercession. We know. We are priests of the royal king of heaven. This is our job. This is who we are. And he, and he says, Jesus did this at the cross. He's made us a kingdom. He's made us priests. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Hey, you want to talk identity? This is it. This is you, brothers and sisters. This is us. We are chosen, royal priesthood, holy nation, a holy people, people for God's possession. When you think about, well, you know, I'm just saved by grace. You're more than just saved by grace. He's made you this. He's made all of us to come together and to proclaim the goodness of God, the the excellencies of him. We are priests who go before the Father and we plead for man who needs to know him. So the question of why is this so important? Why is Revelation so important? I'm glad you asked. I'll answer that question. Verse 7. He says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. He, that amen means let it be so. Let it be. 
So when we say amen to something, we're agreeing. So if you hear someone pray something and you don't agree with it, don't just throw amen out there because what you're saying when you say amen is, I agree with this. If you don't agree, just remain quiet, right? But here he says something very hard. He says, Jesus will return. The nations will wail because of him. They will see him. They will be convicted. They will be sitting at the feast of atonement will begin. Jesus will return. Judgment will come and they will wail because they will see the judge And he says, even so, even though that is so hard, he says, let it be so. Let the will of the Lord be so. Amen. So so here he says, behold, this is a special announcement, a special notice for the church. Listen, Jesus is returning, so we must be doing what he has made us to be. We must be sharing Christ. We must be declaring the gospel to those who, who are in darkness, who need to be rescued. Christ will return, and it says, all will see him, even those who pierced him. I had a couple of thoughts there. I was doing some studying and looking. So it says, all who, who, even those who pierced him. One thought is that it's speaking the nation of like the Jews. Like the Jews are here when Jesus returns, the Jews will see him, they will, they will wail because those who didn't come to him as Messiah, they'll be uh, upset. Others will, will see him because they're of those, of that lineage of the Jews. And I think, yes, I, I can see that argument. But I think when Jesus comes, it's not just a natural event. I think it's a supernatural event. When we read that Jesus died on the cross, Paul talks about he who descended was also he who ascended. When he descended, I believe that Jesus descended and he was in the bosom of Abraham proclaiming victory to the captives. Who are the captives? Those waiting in the bosom of Abraham. And he looks over into Sheol, all of those who perished, who did not have faith, who did not hold to the promise. And he says, I have victory over sin and death. I have the keys. And when he rose, he led captives in his train. Who are the captives? Those who We're waiting for him to be the first fruits from the dead. So when he rose, he led all of those with him to heaven. So paradise is empty today, but Sheol is not. Sheol is still being populated. It's hell, as we think of it. And in the end, well, we'll get to Revelation. In the end, even that gets thrown into the lake of fire. I think it will be a supernatural event. Just as Jesus was seen as victorious after his death on the cross by those who had already perished and gone, I think they will see his coming too. I think they will behold it. How that happens, I don't know. But I think it was the supernatural event. I think when God says, every eye will behold this, I think every eye will behold it. I don't think it's like, well, just those on the earth and those people must mean this or this. I think it can mean every eye. So I think this is what God is saying. He's like, Jesus will come. It's a supernatural event. And that's why this whole thing is important to us. It mirrors what Jesus says in, in Matthew 24, verse 30. We, we looked at this a few weeks back. It says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And so Jesus, even speaking of his return there, we see that he is coming. And then he ends this section that we have today with just this pronouncement of who he is. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come.
the Almighty. The one to come is Christ Jesus. The one who is to come is Christ at this second coming. And so we, we see that he has given this pronouncement of who he is, the revelation given to us. And as the church, what is our takeaway? Our takeaway is this. Are we being a kingdom? Are we being priests? Are we sharing this, this message of salvation with those who need it around us? We don't have to be worried about the times we live in because God placed you in this time. If he placed you in this time, he'll sustain you through this time. He'll give you all that you need for life and godliness, and he'll give you all that you need to stand through the, the trials that come. And however they're going to work out and come to the end, we know they will come to an end, just as he said. And he's put you here, he's put me here, to bring as many into the kingdom as possible before the end comes. So our job is to be busy as a kingdom and as priests, because Christ is speaking. Just as he said in Matthew, go and preach the gospel to all nations. In Revelation, he says, the time is short, the day is drawing near its end. You need to go and preach the gospel to all people. So this is for us. How obedient are you? is the question. How obedient am I? And how obedient as the body of Christ here at the bridge are we? We have to answer that. And we will as we keep going through. Will you stand with me? Let's pray. I was thinking about the bride, that he's speaking to his bride at the beginning of this letter. And... Uh, we have a wedding celebration that's going to happen this afternoon, Scott and Bonnie. 50 years? 50, 40, 40. Let's say 50. We'll round up. No, 40 years. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. And, yeah. And I was thinking about tomorrow, I do the wedding of my son, who will start day one of, of, his, of his journey. I don't know where you are in your marriage with Christ. Maybe you're day one, like my son will be. Maybe you're 40 years. Uh, Christ never leaves us nor forsakes us. He calls us. He equips us. And he says, my bride, be ready. Be ready and go and do what I've made you to do, what I've equipped you to do. And so, let's pray. Father, we just want to bless you, and we ask that you would help us to be a kingdom and be a priesthood, that we would share this, the excellencies of Jesus with those who need to hear, that we wouldn't look at the world around us, that our, our battle is not with flesh and blood, but against those things that set themselves up against you. And we tear those strongholds down, in Jesus' name, in the power of the Spirit, we tear those strongholds down and we proclaim truth because the day is drawing to its end and, and night is coming when no one can work. Jesus, we, we pray that you would just continue to encourage us as we go through this book. May we just reap blessing after blessing and may we be about the business of, of sharing the good news.
May we see many broken come to salvation and be bound up and have that great hope that Jesus is coming for them too. We just say, as John says in the end of this book, come Lord Jesus, come. And where our hearts stumble and we say, but not yet, we repent. And we say, but as we wait, we want to be about Christ and his kingdom. So make your people about that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.